Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Rob Woodbridge and Asif Khan. It is time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 201, slightly delayed, I don't even know, it's September 30th, 2014, yes. live right. from New York. My name is Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv. Asif Khan from the Location-Based Marketing Association. And here we are. In live, person. In person, touching each other. Yeah, yeah no. This is our live yeah. event. <clears throat> yeah, I'm very so. happy to do this. We are here at uh, SM2. Yes. Right? Yes, uh, the is, Mobile Marketing Association event. Yes, here it is. Uh, I just uh, did a uh, great little panel on, uh, on the future. I don't think we solved the problems, though. You never can, right? No. You can only just pontificate. And that's what we did. And it was a great panel. And I'm so thrilled to be in New York City. I'm so, so glad we can actually get this yeah. done. Um, it, this, is, this is why we're a little bit delayed this week. So pardon us for doing this. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode than we typically would do. Because not only are we here, but we managed to wrangle a bunch of people into, uh, to talk to us. Yeah. Which is great. So we spent the afternoon interviewing a whole bunch of amazing people. So they will follow... Uh, this we've only got a couple of stories that we want to highlight because they are critical stories. We're going to be back at it next week. We'll be publishing 202 on Monday, so don't worry. It's one delay, one time, just so we can do this together. Love it. So you were yesterday. Where were you yesterday? I was at the uh, social media summit. Um, yeah. So the yeah, sorry, the mobile media summit. The Not mobile the media. media summit. This is all during ad. Yeah. Week. So we're in the mobile ad media week. summit. Yeah. Part of ad week. Um, great event. Um, you know, very, very much focused on the on the agency perspective around mobile and location. So lots of discussion around that. A lot of our, our great members were there, same ones that are here. You know, <laughs> Exad, Think Near, you know, uh, companies like uh, like that, Factual and so on. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good event. Um, it was good. But definitely, uh, you know, from the agency's point of view yeah. and how they're thinking about this. Fantastic presentation. Um, so one of the, one of the uh, key, key speakers was a one-on-one -on -one interview between Diane uh, Brady from uh, Bloomberg. And Bob Pittman, the uh, chairman of iHeart. Uh, oh yeah, iHeart Radio. iHeart Media now. Our media. Oh, which is, sorry, sorry. Which owns uh, iHeart Radio. So, yeah. and he's been around forever. He created MTV. Yeah. He created, you know, like the guys. The guys just the industry icon. And he got up there, and, and he, he he was, you know, he's been there, done everything, has every T-shirt that exists. And um, so he, he doesn't hold back. Like he just says whatever comes to his mind because uh, he can, right? And he's not worried about, you know. Repercussions what, or you know, his next job. or what's coming next. Yeah. He creates his next job, right? They just had the whole iHeart, you know, music festival. Yeah. And I was talking about that. And he's like, so he gets up there and he's like this. He comes on and he goes, you know what? It just came. I was talking to some people and everybody's talking about second screen this and second screen that. He goes, you know what? I grew up in a time when we had a second screen. You'd be sitting there watching TV and you'd be reading a magazine on commercials. That's your second screen. You know, what's all this digital crap, right? It's not new, <laughs> is it? It's not new, That's right? So true. Um, you'd be flipping through a magazine or the newspaper while you're watching TV, right? Like, what's the difference? Um, so smart. Yeah. I hate people like that. <laughs> it's so well, no, I, I had a second screen. It was a tablet. Yeah. Like a stone tablet back oh, in the day. Oh, my God. So, yeah, anyways, uh, if you ever get a chance, go, go see uh, Bob Pittman speak. He's, uh, he's see, just, it's he's guys just like real. That. He's just real. At what point? Like, it's either an age thing or it's a money thing where you can actually say what is actually on your mind. Yeah. Right? So we I'm go hoping this... it's an age thing because, you know, I'm not going to have a money thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can blame it on senility, I suppose. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
But I mean, I sit and I, here we are at SM2, which is part of uh, it's done by the MMA, and it's a great event and a great a great venue in the middle of New York. Uh, um, and and my challenge with all of these events all the time is that uh, is that you hear the same thing over and over again. And I think that that's the big challenge here is that there's when somebody jumps on a, something like Beacons, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's like everybody congregates around Beacons. It's like a whole bunch of kids playing soccer, right? Right. Where it's like the ball is here and you got 16 kids around that ball. And, I, and that, that's the problem that I have with these things is that they're so sanitized. I wish somebody would just stand up and say, I don't know what we're doing. And that would be the most refreshing thing. So maybe that's what you got yesterday. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit of that, yeah. And then yeah. it went back to the normal. Then it went back to the normal agency talk. So well, Same thing here. Like I, I listened to Dunkin' Donuts talk. Um, the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts and their brand, they brought and their um, PR company, and they brought it, brought it in. And uh, it, you know, it, it was so sanitized, and it was so scattered, and so uh, metrics-driven, but on the wrong metrics, vanity metrics, mm. Facebook likes, and and Vine likes. And uh, they, they were talking about this is the best part. They were talking about the authentic voice, the true voice. Like, don't be different to your business, you know, uh, to your community than you are in your business, and don't try to fake it. And uh, you know the PR agency, and I won't name them because it's you can find out. But as she was up there talking, she was saying, you know, when and you have to be authentic, and you have to, you you know, you have to be the one engaged and engaging. And so I looked up her Twitter stream as she was on, and she was live tweeting from the event under her <laughs> name because posts were going up one minute ago and two minutes ago. So she was having somebody tweet in her account while she was on stage. And I think, how inauthentic, inauthentic is that? And I thought, like, yeah. you just ruined all credibility. You know, we're creating content just for the sake of creating content. It's right? terrible. Because, yeah, so, yeah, anyhow. So, but, you know, the event was good. The event is good. There's another day of it, so I'll, I'll reserve judgment. But I just, honesty is so important. But that drives me crazy, right? It's like, come on. Like, I do all of my own, everything yep. I say is mine. Yep. Good or bad, I don't. You own it. Yeah, I don't censor it. So, so. all right. Well, we got, uh, we got two stories. We got four great interviews. Uh, we sat down right on this couch uh, with, uh, with Amit Shaw, who is uh, basically the VP of everything that has to do with digital and mobile. Uh, when it comes to marketing for 1-800-Flowers. Who else do we sit down with? Uh, Sean Trapetta, one of the, uh, uh, the president and one of the co-founders of Mobiquity Networks, uh, doing in a lot malls. of work with, uh, in the shopping malls and yeah. weekends. Yeah. Uh, we had Vikas uh, Gupta, who yeah. uh, basically leads marketing at Factual, Factual. and talking about location data. Uh, and then we had uh, Anthony Taguchi, uh, who's um, really interesting, you know, uh, from a brand point of view, works at Nestle and kind of leads global, um, you know, sort of innovation uh, for, for Nestle, especially on their, on their healthcare product side, their nutritional product side. So, so we're doing uh, this on spec. We hope the interviews turned yeah. out and the audio is good. So you're either going to get all those or none of those. Uh, that's how it goes. It's going to be the longest there episode or the shortest episode. But that's uh, so we'll, 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 we're going to come to those. Those are our resource and our guests of the week. We've got a couple of stories, though, that we want to address right away that we couldn't wait until the next episode to do. Um, so how do you, you, you want to get into that now? Yeah, let's talk about... Do, uh, have we done everything on the show? I think so. Well, wait, there's a couple of things that you got to do. We've got to push, obviously, Retail Loco. Yeah, we do. October 22nd, Chicago. Yes. By the way, we, this is the next time Rob and I are in the same room again, yeah. which is... Yeah, so October 22nd, Retail Loco, our, our flagship conference, one day... You don't want to miss it. Uh, tons of brands actually on panels talking about how they're thinking about location. Hopefully and, they're telling the truth. And, and mobile. Hopefully they're telling the truth. Um, you know, a fantastic uh, after event. Uh, we've got, uh, 
you know, just just some fantastic people. I mean, like Walgreens is going to be there, Ace Hardware, Dunkin' Donuts, Crate and Barrel, Lord and Taylor. You just slammed all those guys yeah. right in this one. Yeah, episode. I mean, like they're, they're amazing, right? Like they're <laughs> all going to be there, um, talking about how they're thinking about this stuff. So you don't want to miss it if you're interested in retail and, and location. This is the place you want to be. October twenty second, Chicago. Retaillo.co is the website. You know, this is why Steve hates doing these shows with me because he has to worry about his membership. And I, I just say what's on my mind, and he then picks up the pieces after that. It's like, ah! What can I, what can I say? What can I say? All right, uh, well, uh, so that's the 22nd. What else is going on with you? You're heading out to Europe next week. Um, yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm in Edinburgh uh, on Monday, so that's October the 6th uh, for uh, the LBMA Edinburgh chapter uh, meetup. We're talking about beacons there uh, and all, all that goes with that. Uh, got some, some interesting speakers coming in to be, be part of that event. Um, I think that's all we got, really, for LB, as far as LBMA events are concerned. There's a lot of other activity yeah. that we're involved in, other partner uh, events and conferences, you know, throughout the, the next few months. So I don't, I don't think I'm actually home a single week uh, between now and the middle of December. So. Is this how you tell your wife that? Yeah, exactly. She watched the show? <laughs> <Yeah>. Never. <laughs> Never. It's like, I told yeah. you on the show. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, hopefully you guys can get out to uh, Retail Loco. Don't forget, though, that if you use that uh, caps, all caps on Tether, you get like a 200 million percent discount yeah. on it. And that's growing as yeah. the day goes. So, uh, in fact, it's just a 100 million percent discount. Something. Yeah. yeah. So it shrinks. Yeah. Untether. Untether. All caps at RetailLow.co. All right. Uh, our first story today that we wanted to approach uh, because it was big news yesterday. This is actually today's Tuesday. Yesterday on Monday, we would have missed it if we had actually published yesterday. I had to wait till next Monday. Is, is I thought for, for absolute sure that, that, um, that Macy's, Macy's would actually buy Shopkick. Like I thought for sure. Macy's, they're in 4,000 stores. We said stores. it, right? Macy's, and it was last week that we said Shopkick will get bought by Macy's. So half of it was right. Shopkick got bought. Shopkick for $200 million was acquired by SK Telecom. And that's SK as in South, South Korea. Korea Telecom. This yeah. is a, this is, this is a, this is, it's not the amount, which I think maybe they're worth it. No, I, I think that's a, that's not, not a crazy valuation like a lot of things we've seen. It isn't, it isn't a crazy valuation. I think that the uh, chops that, that Shopkick brings to a company like SK Telecom I guess are worthwhile, but 200, 200 million, I'm not even worried about that. It's not, it's not a big deal. Yep. Uh, I have so many other challenges with this, but the big thing I think here is the significance is that iBeacon and Beacon Technology put Shopkick in a position where they had to sell because I don't think that they would have been around a year from now. Yes, I, I mean, I mean, I, you know, absolutely. So, the proprietary so, stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I think Apple, Apple going out and positioning, you know, the value of beacons, you know, the explosion of beacons, yeah. you know, across the board. Every retailer is trying to figure out a, a beacon strategy. You'll hear later from, you know, Sean talking about that from a mobility point of view. But you know, it, it's on the radar of every single company right yeah. now. Every retailer we work with is trying to run some pilot or test or or full rollout in, yeah. in that in that context. And Shopkick, you know, is you know coming at at the same you know sort of you know market with a whole different proprietary, you know, proprietary hardware you know, solution based, yeah. based on ultrasound now they do also support beacons, beacons. They, they say they blend both together and it's it's more accurate and it does this that and the other thing but it's still proprietary and it's still a proprietary app it's the shopkick app you know that runs across multiple retailers um you know, and I have, to, I have serious challenges with that, right? <laughs> serious, serious challenges oh, yeah. with that. You know, and then now here comes, you know, big telecom, you know, from Asia, South Korea, South Korea 
you know, Southeast Asian market here coming in and saying, yeah, we want this. Now, for me, my reaction to this was, you know, forget about what Macy's thinks. We'll come to that in a yeah. second because I'm sure they're not happy. <laughs> right? But, but um, for, for me, this is a reactionary move by SK Telecom. Oh, right? interesting. So th- this, th- this is all of a sudden, you know, operators and large, you know, sort of network providers are sitting there going, we need to get in this game yeah. around beacon technology, around indoor location. Um, and so th- th- there's this whole movement, let's, let's say, by mobile operators, by the carrier community to try and figure out how they get into the venue, right? Um, and, and, and Beacon seems to be a way to do that. And so you look at, you know, the, the investment, the $10 million investment by Baidu in Indoor Atlas, yeah. which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And all of a sudden, if you, if you, if you own an indoor location company, your, your valuation just went way up, right? Because Baidu just put $10 million in this company. Yeah. So Shopkick, you know, the deal for me, SK Telecom, is simply a reactionary move to we need to own something in this space. You know, we need to make an investment in this space. And you're going to see more of these deals, I, yeah, but, I think. But why? Right? Like, like SK Telecom. Like they're in South Korea. No, I know. Their infrastructure is right? in South Korea. It, yeah, but, but, but from my perspective, all they're doing is buying access to, to a technology, right? Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, look, if you talk to the, you know, the Indoor Atlas guys, I mean, they'll tell you that you know, this means all of a sudden they, they're, op- they're opening an office in, in, in China. That, that makes sense, you know, but that's an investment, not a full-out acquisition. Absolutely, right? So the question becomes, do they all of a sudden just say, okay, we're going to keep doing, you know, running the Shopkick business in, in, in the U.S.? What does that mean from a privacy issue, from oh a data God. leaving the country perspective? Huge issues. But from an SK Telecom point of view, does this mean all of a sudden, you know, like I can go roll out, you know, Beacon Technology and E-Marts and all these Korean sure. retailers? Yeah. And I have the, the capability to do that? Yes, it you does. You have the knowledge and the capability. So, so that's how I see this. But how many, people, how many of the Shopkick staff are going to move to South Korea? None. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so, so you're buying you're buying technology. You're buying IP. Yeah. Right? You're buying, you know, some kind of patents and, and, and whatever else that you know that, that they built over there. But I mean if you're Macy's, I'd be like freaking out. I'd be right pissed. Now. Yeah. I would yeah. be I would be like if they didn't know this was gonna happen, because if you recall we covered a story last week that Macy's was rolling out Shopkick in four thousand stores across the United States. If they didn't know they would be pissed. But I can't imagine that they would agree to this knowing that an, a South Korean company, was, a telecom company, was going to buy a shop here. I can't imagine that they would have said, okay, yeah, we're in. And then uh, when, when the only thing... Better than North Korean. But that's, what I was, that's the only good thing. <laughs> when, I, when I brought this up, yeah. somebody said, yeah, you know, at least it wasn't North Korea. I'm like, well, that's the best you can say? I'm not... Nothing against South Korea. Yeah. They're nothing like North Korea. No, no, they're amazing. But... But the whole idea that Macy's is going to get on board with this and have all of their data owned yeah. by a South Korean company? Well, I mean, th- th- I mean, there, there are laws, right? I mean, yeah. around the, around the data, you know, staying in the U.S., right? Like you have to keep this data here, but right? But so, I can't imagine. you know, are they going to all of a sudden, you know, maintain these servers? And you know, what does that mean, right? Um, it's just a cacophony of yeah. Crap. It, it, it creates problems. So hopefully, for again, it's a reactionary move to the Baidu yeah. investment in my in my th- way of thinking about this. It gives them, you know, a, a product to go push into the the, sure. the, the South Korean market, yeah. and you know there there are lots of great retailers there, um, you know that, that could take advantage of Tesco. Yeah. You know, is doing lots. But of then work just there, so. like a small investment, 
Like yeah. put fifty million dollars in, yeah, right, or whatever. Yeah, yeah buy, buy some race to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe Shopkick saw saw the end coming. And well, said, I think that that's what it was. Shopkick saw the end coming. No and investment. Saying, yeah, no, nothing. we're not taking investment. You take the whole thing, or yeah. you take nothing, right? So, um, you know, I, 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 I think Shopkick's days were numbered because of what is going on with Beacons and and this kind of open environment. Now, Apple's not open; it's closed. Right. But it, the Beacon technology um, and the fact that now Apple is, is doing NFC. And uh, like, when you start to put all that together, it didn't look good for, for proprietary technologies. There Too expensive. Go. So, uh, again, I mean, if I'm Macy's, if I don't know, I am, first of all, the people that, that negotiated that deal are fired. <laughs> and if I did know, the people who negotiated that deal are fired. Right? Uh, like, it's no good. Nothing good. Fired no matter what. Except, except Shopkick pulled out $200 million. So I think that's, that's like a high five. They took the money. There you go. Take the money and run. So, so this is like the South Korean show because our next story is also oh, yeah. about a South Korean company. It is. Right. Remember we talked about Apple yeah. and the watch? We did. And we talked about the fact that the watch was going to be a conduit to commerce and the fact that, oh, uh, what was the only company, payment company that Apple did not mention in their keynote for It was Apple? that company that I was like, you know, two prediction shows ago said it was going to be like the, you know, the company, one of the key companies to company watch. company that just spun right. out yeah. of, uh, of uh, this eBay company and is going to be a separate company. Uh, yeah. What was that company called? It's called PayPal. 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 Oh, they weren't mentioned in that. No, they were left out of the, They were like the only big financial transaction company left out of the Apple Like watch, in the world. Uh, you know, discussion. And, and, I, and, and, you know, part of when we talked about the Apple Watch thing, one of the things that we said that, you know, sort of was kind of hidden in that, in that whole press announcement was the ability for, you know, not just Apple Watch, but, but Apple Pay. Yeah. You know, and, and, and what, is, what did Apple Pay mean to online transactions? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right, you know, PayPal's key domain, right? <laughs> um, and so it, it makes sense when you see why PayPal is not part of that, right? When Apple, you know, talks about their strategy for online and what that means. So PayPal had to do something. They had to, you know, find a way to respond to this. Uh, and so, so they sold themselves to a North Korean company. Yeah, yeah, almost. No. <laughs> uh, so Samsung obviously has their own watch. Uh, they've been in the watch game for a little yeah. bit now with their, with their Galaxy Gear and all that kind of stuff. And so they've gone out and signed a deal with PayPal to effectively bring, you know, the same functionality that Apple Watch and Apple Pay were talking about, you know, together, you know, between those two organizations. You know, and, and I think it's, for me, I have a hard time seeing how <laughs> this is going to be. Wait, wait, know, this, is, this is PayPal, though. So. I, I, I love PayPal. I'm like the biggest PayPal fan. Yeah. So are you. Yeah, right? absolutely. We, you know, I, I use, use it, it, it all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, you know, we just talked about the, the, you know, you know how amazing it was to be able to use PayPal to pay for gas yeah. at, a, at, a, yeah. at a gas station, all that kind of stuff. But you know, this combination is for me again. This is I, I don't know why I'm using this word reactionary all the time. <laughs> well, uh, well, it is. It's it, like a, a week after the announcement. Yeah, it's reactionary, yeah. right? So this is you know we needed to have a response. We were left out of the uh, you know the uh, you know the birthday party with uh, with, with Apple. Um, and so we got to go do something. And so we go partner up with Samsung's watch. And the problem I have with this is, is that, you know, this is not, you know, a, a complete payments ecosystem. This is not Apple Pay. This is not where we went out and we signed up the merchants. And we got all these great retailers on board. And we went and got, you know, all the credit card companies, except for Discover. Um, and, and, you know, and we got the banks on board. And, you know, like, like this is just PayPal. Yeah. Right. 100% um, PayPal. You know, and, and, and the Samsung watch. And, you know, I don't know how many people are going to buy a Samsung watch, number one. Um, you know, and, and it, sure, if I can pay with PayPal, that's, that's good. I like it. But it's not going to be ubiquitous. The merchant community is not going to accept this. Um, and it's not enough to make me go and buy that watch. No. No, it's definitely not. No. I, I, this is, it's an, reactionary is a good way to put it. 
uh, PayPal just needed to make an announcement about a watch and money. And I think this is exactly what they did. It's, it's just, it's an odd thing. Yeah. It's an odd thing. And, and, and you know, and, and I don't speak negatively about PayPal very often, but I have to on this one. Was that negative about PayPal? I think so. You've heard me be negative yeah. this whole time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I'm just, you know, this is just, I, I don't see, I mean, PayPal has been trying to move yeah. out of, you know, like not out of, but, you know, in addition to their online get world. Get physical. To get into the store, yeah. right? Um, and I think they're doing a stellar job of that, by the way. Like, I think that, like, the fact that I can, I, you know, I see pay, PayPal popping up many locations now. Yeah, but, but I think until you have a premium network of merchants. Yeah. That, that, are, Home Depot, that support you, yeah. you know PayPal yeah. uh, you know tying that to a watch is useless yeah. right so you know Apple coming out and saying we've got Whole Foods and we've got these guys and Subway we've got Subway yeah. and we've got you know that that makes sense right and, and I liken it to you know you know somebody asked me the other day about the, the you know sort of the failure of uh, the initial attempt of AT&T's shop alerts program mm-hmm. right and, and subsequent you know demise or you know what they've called a you know they shut it down they say it's coming back and you know whatever you want like nine months ago yeah, yeah yeah it is coming back by the way I have, that's confirmed um <laughs> but um you know for me somebody asked me you know why you know, the other day why why i think it didn't work and, and and the reason i said it didn't work was is you know i think the technology itself is, is solid you know a geo-targeted sms you know is easy everybody yeah. can do it right and and so you know on a surface it makes sense that people would want this and I think the two the two things that sort of you know made it so that, so that it, it didn't really it didn't really scale or didn't work uh, and take off is you know one is is unlike when O2 launched theirs you know they didn't give like super finite control to the consumer when they opted in to yeah. specify their preferences and their time you know how fr- the frequency of messaging and all that kind of stuff and two is and this is, comes right back to what I just said about PayPal and, and this watch you know uh, and Apple is you know when they when they announced it the, the initial set of retail partners that were on board for using, you know, the, the Shoplers program was like, you know, the first brand that they came on said was on board was Kmart. Like, you know, and no disrespect to Kmart, but, you know, like, like that is not a brand that people like go, yeah, like, you know, all of a sudden, yes, yes, I can get, I can get geo-targeted SMS alerts about deals at Kmart, right? Hmm. So it it is about like, if you're going to do something like this, you need to have these premium you know, brands that people really care about, that people are passionate about, right? I can't say that there's a passionate following for Kmart out there. We do not often run out there and say, yes, I'm going to Kmart, but I feel the same way about most shopping. Yeah, you know, it's not that I will never go to Kmart. Like, I'll go to Kmart if I need something, you know, just like I go to Walmart or go to Target. Um, But having that be sort of the, you know, the, you know, the sort of the the key, you know, jewel (laughs) in in your, in your, in your marketing message about why people should sign up and opt in for a geo-targeted SMS. And in this case, you know, PayPal, Samsung, you know, who is, who is that jewel, you know, merchant that you're building this around? This is not good. Right. So, so this is the challenge I have with it. It's a big challenge, Steve. But maybe that's yeah. why they did it. In, why am I the one ranting today? I don't know. You're it's the ranter. I was just I was listening. I got you all worked up. I'm all talked out today. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So both uh, South Korean stories. Like uh, it's it's fascinating to watch this yeah. on a global scale. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the big story as well is that now PayPal is an independent company. It's going to be an yes. independent, publicly traded company. And I think that you know, take the shackles of eBay off, and good lord, it's going to be a great, 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 great ride for this company. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as we say, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of love PayPal. The, love PayPal. I, I use it. Yeah. 
I, like it's where it's my bank account. Yeah. Right. So PayPal for me is big. So I'm not gonna buy a watch. So no way am I gonna buy a watch. An yeah. Apple Watch, I would probably Apple buy. Apple Watch, yes. Yeah. Probably yeah. buy that. Probably with PayPal. Oh, I can't. Son of a gun. Yeah. All right. So those right. are the, those are the only two stories we're gonna cover here because we got a, such a great group of guests that we're gonna run through right now, um, and we're gonna run through them in, in just in sequence, and then we're gonna come back on the flip side, and we are going to actually uh, just close this out with a few more words. So. Um, I'm going to introduce the first guy. Yeah. We'll go with Amit first, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, here's our first guest recorded here in New York City, Amit Shaw. He's the VP of everything that has to do with digital. That's uh, digital, mobile, uh, for 1-800-Flowers. You know those guys. You probably bought flowers from them. So I'll let Amit tell us what he does. Here is Amit Shaw. Guest number one of four. We are here uh, live in New York City, and we've got a great guest. It's Amit Shah. Amit, what do you do for 1-800-Flowers? Um, so I'm basically responsible for a bunch of acquisition channels and the, the whole customer experience that spans across our uh, different customer touch points, whether it be online, mobile, or social. Yeah, that's a small piece of uh, the pie, isn't it? It is, online, and it's a growing piece. Social. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, and it's growing of importance. And, and uh, we had a good conversation today around uh, what you guys do from a location standpoint. Why don't you, you know, how important is location in your business? Sure. So I would say on a on a couple of different dimensions, location is a pretty critical contextual data point for us, right? So starting from the fact that you know at the core of what we do is we are florists, right? So we have more than you know four to five thousand locations that are our franchise and network partners that we want to increase footfall for at the end of the day, right? Secondly, location is important for us because we are a multi-party transaction outcome. By that, what I mean is that generally when someone comes to our site, they are looking to send something to someone, right? Yes, right. So it's very important for us to know not just the location of the primary user, but what is the location of the recipient, right? And that drives a lot of our algorithms. And then finally, just in terms of being better at one-on-one -on -one marketing, at the end of the day, I think because we have, you know, uh, put out a big uh, sort of stake in the ground on our mobile footprint almost four years back, we are now getting to a point of sophistication where we are able to overlay this location, contextual information on our outbound marketing to make it a little bit more targeted than what we have seen before. So ultimately you're sending a different message to, to different people in the same location? I think we are on our way there. I don't think we have yet sort of reach that is, point. Is that limited to mobile or are you, are you sort of incorporating that into, into your web properties? Are you using IP geolocation data to determine where you know, web visitors coming from and then driving some contextual experience? You know, that was sort of uh, our initial attempt, but what we quickly realized is that because we are a multi-party transactional outcome, it's really rather irrelevant to know right. where the user is coming from. Right. It's more important to ferret out where the recipient is. Yes. You know, so it's both sort of an useful signal for us, but only with the right context. So if we know that you're buying something for self-consumption, let's say, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, offices of doctors and dentists, right. which might have a need for their front staff or their front desk to have a bouquet of flowers. Right. Those are easier things to overlay the, the user's so, so content. So would, would you take data, for example, like past purchase, you know, mm -hmm. uh, historical purchase data and combine that with location in that context to, to drive, you know, an experience? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, if you really think about it, of the signals available to a marketer, right, the classical signals in the traditional realm has been something about the target, 
mm-hmm. right? And generally, that target information, what we find, is a, a mix of self-reported and deterministic information. So, self-reported meaning you know you have reported the gender, right. and the deterministic is you know what the company knows about you, right? But both of those we think are are poorer outcomes compared to sensory outcomes. Right. So, when a when a phone senses that you are at a location. You know that is a very believable signal if it is accurate, sure. because you can't fudge with it. You can't make memory mistakes, etc. So we think that over time, actually, this kind of you know sensory data is going to get more and more important, including location, because that is believable data. Mm-hmm. Is is your focus when it comes to location? Is it on drawing people into those four thousand or five thousand locations? Um, is it on uh, kind of augmenting the relationship mm-hmm. that you currently have with the customer base? Or, or those four or five thousand locations. You know the way we think about it very broadly is that it allows us to impactfully engage the customer across their customer journey. So whether the customer journey consummates at the shop floor, if you will, mm-hmm. or consummates on our mobile website or on our app, we want to be relevant across that spectrum. Right. So what we are seeing, in fact, like in some of the location-based ads that we will do you know for example around valentine's day we'll go out and conquest all the jewelry stores mm-hmm. right because flowers is a good complimentary gift if you're going in and buying something which is you know nice uh, jewelry set for your wife or your significant other mm-hmm. right but what we actually see as you know we were talking about earlier is that paradoxically customer engagement is not limited by the location open and close hours you know right. so it's really so what we do actually our ads Let's say you are surfing those ads at eight o'clock in the evening when our shop might be closed. We give you the option to shop at our mobile site or call our 24-hour call center. Right. But if the shop is open and you're shopping at five o'clock, the first call to action is actually to take you to our stop shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still have the other options, but we have kind of rejiggered the experience to take in that location contextual information. So it's not just the lat long, but you know, is the lat long open for business or not is equally relevant. So, and I really like that. So I, think, I think that ability to, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, understand where, where somebody is in that right. purchase cycle and then sort of, you know, uh, you know associate the, the appropriate, you know, response or, right. or, or way to engage with them is really interesting. But that, for me, that, that assumes that, you know, the, the customer has initiated some sort of search in this, right. in this context. What about the other side of the equation where, you know, like, or do you look for opportunities to, you know, suggest that flowers would be a good thing right now when I'm not thinking about it, right? Sure. Uh, in other words, like, you know, prospecting maybe? Yeah, but think about it this way. Like, you know, I was just, I, it just popped in my head, you know, like, I'm, I'm driving my car. Stop. You know, we know connected cars are, are, connected cars are on the horizon. Right. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could all of a sudden push a message to me in my dashboard in my car that sure. says, hey, you know what? Have you thought about sending some flowers to your wife or girlfriend, yeah. uh, you know, uh, this weekend? You know, you know, here it is, and so just interjecting into the stream while I have high dwell time right now, you know, I'm I'm focused on, on driving, sure. but you know, maybe I should send some flowers to yeah. you. Uh, you know, do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a very uh, funny paradox in that the driver in me is really scared of that, <laughs> but the marketer in me really wants to embrace that, right? Because if you think about the the screen focus when you're driving yeah. or when you're in a very contained environment. It's almost total, right? Like you cannot have any, it's a very captive audience, right? So we did a bunch of testing with Think Near early on, you know, especially after they merged with Telenav, 
to really get into that in-car dashboard experience, yeah. right? And I think you still have to be smart about it. So for example, if I'm going to intercept you 20 miles from a shop, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a poor message. It's a poor interception. Yes. But if you're 20 yards away from it, I think it's in play. So, right, how, so you have to so, really think. So how long until uh, until we get like instead of the OnStar, it's like click yeah for, yeah. Click yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen the, flowers. <laughs> the new uh, dashboard that they are developing on uh, uh, Kickstarter, yeah. Yeah. where it actually beams the information yeah, to yeah, the, yeah. the screen. Yeah. Yes. I think that's huge because now you are going from the five or six inch yeah, yeah. to the, the whole, whole, yeah, the whole dashboard. screen. You know. Yeah. So again, as a driver, I'm really scared of that. But, but as a marketer, the marketer, like, I couldn't be more excited. You can't get your eyes <laughs> off it. Pretty soon, it'll have every yeah. logo will be on that. But you'll be able to see through it. But but you know it's interesting because uh, um, and maybe this is an in, in, indictment of myself, but sure. I mean I don't buy flowers every day, right? So that there's a there is that perfect time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's four times a year. Maybe it should be greater sure. than that. Maybe you can help me get yeah. better at it. But in that instance, you know, is is it uh, how do you do this without being obtrusive? Right. Um, and, you know, because I don't buy flowers every single day of every yeah. single year. And it, 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 it's a very interesting challenge because if you think about flowers or, or what I call gifts of expression, yeah. you know, there are both sort of, I would say, date-specific occasions, but also unanticipated occasions. Like mm-hmm. if Aunt Sally is sick, yeah. you know, you, it's, there's no date around that. It's just an emergent occasion yeah. that you need to cater with. So... You know, we grapple with both of those. And what we have found over time, actually, is that your propensity to consume something or to give something as a gift has correlates with your other consumption patterns. So, you know, one example I gave jewelry store a week before Valentine's Day. And we won't target those stores two months out because you could just be going there to pick something else or you could be going there to get your watch repaired. So knowing the context and the date specifically is very important over time. And then the second thing what we have seen also is that, you know, there is a lot of a segment of population that you can convert by just giving the just because message. You know, that's really important. I think a lot of time what happens is that exactly, you know, people are so focused on, okay, birthday is coming up, anniversary Mm. is coming up. But those are kind of what I almost call the expected payoff days. If you really want to earn cookie points, you need to really think about uh, this just because occasions, right? And, right? and going in front of someone and saying, hey, you know, you're like, so we'll go out and conquest airports. Like if you're leaving town, you know, our message is very clear that, hey, don't forget to send something to your significant other. You're going to be out for a couple of days. Yeah. Fascinating. I love it. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Great to meet you guys. Yeah. Who would have thought flowers is such a... All right. And now our our second guest is uh, Anthony uh, Taguchi from Nestle. Uh, Anthony is responsible for global innovations and looking for, you know, sort of insights and technology and kind of, you know, bring innovation to uh, the Nestle uh, nutritional products uh, division. And uh, so here he is. Yeah, so uh, first of all, you know, th- thanks for sitting down and, and joining us today on This Week in Location-Based Marketing. We're really excited to have you as part of the LVMA. Uh, you know, as Nestle, uh, you know, you guys are fantastic consumer products in so many different verticals. Um, you know, what, t- tell us a little bit about, you know, how you think about location and, and its value to you in terms of reaching consumers. No, it's a great question. Uh, we have a huge profit of products uh, within the nutrition uh, brand uh, worldwide. And one of the challenges that we have is in each of the markets, uh, the the location is definitely 
relevant in the consumer's uh, track throughout the day. And so when we start thinking through location, you know, and we start thinking through the opportunities, the message in the locations, we start thinking through what are the different channels that are possible. And even with mobile, the data signal it is not always consistent, right? The cellular carriers are not always consistent in their ability to... Uh, so diplomatically put, man. I love yeah. it. It's not always consistent. Not always consistent. Yeah. And so it poses some challenges about how we reach our consumers. And so we, we're starting to think through, you know, is, is how do we think through location? How do we think through the opportunities? Okay. Do you ever have these moments where you think, uh, like, it's, it's uh, much simpler than, than we all make it out to be? Like, do you, do you overthink this as you're going through it? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's right in front of your face, but you're thinking complicated? Yeah. Well, it's definitely seems more simple uh, in the U.S., right? Or in some of these other countries where, the, uh, where you know, we, we live every day and we interact with uh, just on a daily lifestyle. But when we're trying to think, now i got to put myself in a consumer's shoes across the world. How do I, how do I now need to think? Yeah. What is the experience that the brand needs to have with that consumer to be relevant? And I think that becomes... Challenge. So sort of picking up on that, I mean, how do you, how do you think about th this idea that, I mean, historically, you know, when you think about CPGs and brands like, like, like that you represent, you know, you've always had to rely on that merchant to kind of, you know, sort of be the end face to the consumer. But now, you know, mobile, you know, sort of really opens that where you have a direct conduit, a direct channel yeah. you know, to the consumer. And, and you know, how, like how do, how do you balance that, you know, sort of relationship between your relationship with the, the merchant that sells your, your products to the consumer and, you know, the consumer, you know, directly connecting with you from a brand experience. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's very interesting. Um, you know, as a digital marketer, I, I think through a very limited scope, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, when I interact with the brand team, uh, my manager, you know, I, I, I think through, you know, things that he's helping me to see, you know, you know, Anthony, you gotta you gotta think through what is the overall value proposition of what we're trying to do, and right. then think through. Now I have my opportunities from digital to say, hey, listen, here are some of the the opportunities. How do how do we unleash those? And so, you know, I just think sometimes we we make things overcomplicated, and in some areas we I think we make it too simple. We simplify. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting because the two different strategies you can take is obviously. Um, when you're selling through your resellers and uh, what the what even something something like the packaging looks like and the call to action on the packaging not only like the box on the shelf the the wrapper yeah. uh, that's around the products uh, or the boxes around the products um, but then but then this whole layer of context right uh, you know if you were if you ask my wife it's every moment is is the right time for chocolate for example right <laughs> it, there's no context piece to it but you know, there's got to be there's got to be a, a give and take, so that when you create the relationship with the customer inside the store, um, and then you foster that relationship through whatever it is that you're going through digital marketing or a mobile app, um, is that how is that how you think about it? Like, it, it initiates yeah. in the store, or does it initiate by you guys? You know, I, I think it's not I think the store is a good way of how we see if our products are moving, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, but I think that experience extends way beyond, way beyond and way before the, the store experience. So, I mean, do, do you see yourselves as, in general as a company and from a, from a brand point of view as, you know, our, your, your customer sort of, you know, affiliates themselves with that brand. They feel like they're a Nestle type of person, like you are a Coke person, you know what I mean? Or, um, or, or is it more about, you know, we, we need to convince people that... 
you know, this is this product, you know, is better than some other product in the market, and, and, and therefore you should choose it on the merits of the product. Or is it really about you want them to be part of the, part of your brand and, and feel like they're like they are Nestle people? Yeah, yeah, that's I, a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a loaded one. How, how do I how do I start? Well, yes. we, we were fortunate. We were fortunate enough to be a part of a brand that Nestle ended up acquiring. Yeah, yeah. you know, almost two years ago. And there's been a strong heritage with that brand. Mm -hmm. And in some countries, it's extremely strong. And why would you want to lose that, right? Why would you want, and the, the keynote earlier is like, even though you have this huge heritage, you can't forget that there's a future, right? He talked about, hey, you gotta be relevant now, you gotta reinvent yourself, you gotta think through, what are some of the opportunities to, to win over the, the newer generation? Mm -hmm. It is a relationship that as a digital marketer, I'm trying to figure out, trying to figure out how we make that more relevant and then based on location, is there an opportunity to, to really maximize that opportunity? Very cool. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate yeah. it. All right. All right. And, and our next guest is uh, Sean Trapetta, uh, who's uh, the president and one of the co-founders of Mobiquity Networks. Um, doing a lot of work in, in the Beacon space and shopping malls, sign a deal with Simon Properties. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the show. So here he is, Sean Trapetta, Mobiquity Networks. Excellent. So, so Sean, um, you know, thank, first of all, thanks for coming and spending a few minutes on this week in location-based marketing. Um, you know, obviously you've been in the news a little bit lately. You've got one of the biggest uh, networks of, of beacons in, in shopping malls and that type of environment. So locations are obviously extremely important to you guys, but, you know, maybe in your own words, how, you know, how do you see the value of location in, in today's world? Well, I mean, it's just really exciting for us. I mean, the, the value is huge, obviously. Um, a lot of people talking about location services and and, uh, you know, one of the big things is that everyone's worried about is, you know, how accurate is that location information that they actually get? Um, there's nothing more accurate than beacons. Uh, we have the largest beacon network, you know, in the country, uh, maybe the world right now, currently in 100 malls. Uh, just did the exclusive deal with, with Simon to grow to all 240 of their malls. And literally, uh, by the time that build out is done in the first quarter, we're going to have 220 million plus monthly shopping visits. Um, you know, going through our network every day, literally spending $25 billion per month in those malls. And we have the ability, you know, to work with partners to help drive foot traffic into their stores instead of people who are not working with us. So it's, you know, super exciting for us right now. Everyone's trying to figure out a Beacon strategy. And, you know, if you're doing anything with Beacons and you're retail, you, you should be speaking to us as well. There you go. So. How about results? Like, are you? Uh, is it too early to kind of take a look and see how things are progressing in these malls? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, because the fact is, you know, beacons have only been around for a little while. Like eight know? days. Yeah, it's pretty much. It, basically, yeah. we've been in, in beacons since it, since they came around. We we had the Bluetooth rights. We were doing Bluetooth push and Wi-Fi in malls, and all of a sudden, you know, Apple came out with this great beacon technology, and we quickly, you know, changed gears and. Um, you know, the great thing about, you know, Beacons is the promise is huge, yeah. you know, there's so many things we're going to be able to do with it and we're really just scratching the surface. So our goal right now, we have, you know, uh, a great network. We have an SDK that works with both um, iOS and Android. Um, so the footprint is there. Now we just got to, you know, start growing the reach by getting our SDK and as many, you know, apps, relevant apps that there are, you know, whether you're a shopping app or, you know, an actual retail app or even you know, the apps are just looking to get in front of, you know, huge amount of consumers. So uh, I want to jump on that, that piece about the actual retail app that you just talked about. So, I mean, you're, you're in malls primarily, right? And, and so 
is there is there any sort of battle going on between the property owner for you know, sort of controlling the communication to that customer and the actual tenant, if you will, in the mall who wants that customer coming in their store, or are they actually working in concert with each other in a very cooperative way? You know, are, are you seeing any conflict? It's a great question. We don't we because right now, no. Um, you know, and you know, Simon's been great with as a partner with us, and we're actually trying to go together to a lot of the the um, you know the retailers. Um, you know, our our relationship with Simon is we own the common area. Mm -hmm. Okay, so our beacons are set up throughout the whole common area. A retailer can do anything they want inside their store, but they can't have beacons you know emanating out into the okay. in the common area. So, you know, our whole job is in you know is tapping a you know a consumer on the shoulder and helping drive that foot traffic into that retail store. And like I said, if, you know, a lot of retailers, Macy's or whoever else are working with, you know, other partners inside their store. And I say, great, you embrace Beacons, that's awesome. But if you're working with Beacons in your store uh, and you're in a mall, you should be working with us in the common area. You know, we'll hand it off as they walk in. We have no problem with that. But let us help drive your customer to your store. So if I can take that a little bit further then, so I mean, can we talk just in generalities sure. about sort of the, the funding mechanics around this, right? So it, it, are you seeing this as, you know, the, the property owner, in this case, Simon, uh, you're talking about, is, is, is comfortable, you know, sort of funding this on their own. They see the value of having beacons throughout their mall properties in, in these common areas and driving traffic into, into these tenant uh, locations and, and footfall. Um, but is, is any of that money coming from within sort of the, the co-op soft dollar programs that the tenants are paying into anyways? Well, we believe that, you know, the, the co-op money will help the retailers fund the, the relationships with us, especially, you know, in a large shopping mall or in a specific retail, they have thousands of brands or hundreds of brands. So it's going to be like, you know, it's the next generation of, of marketing instead of somebody paying to be in their circular or paying to be here. Now you're going to be front and center via the beacon to help drive somebody into the store to get your product in a specific store. So that's the way I see it going. Um, you know, but it's like we said, it's so new and uh, it's all going to play itself out over the, you know, the next six months to a year, you know, but we're, you know, in a great spot. We're smack dab in the middle of it and we're flexible. And that's the one thing that, um, you know, that a lot of our partners are appreciating as well because, you know, we can't say this is the only way it works and it's going to be like this for the next year. Um, we're saying, hey, let's try it. Right. It doesn't work. You know, we're well, willing to shift and, and figure out what works for everybody because, you know, that's the bottom line. Simon wants to give value to the, their retailers. The retailer wants to give value to their clients, you know, make the shopping experience easier, maybe save money. And um, so they continue to use the app. And, you know, the nice part about it, like I said, we're smack dab in the middle of it, just helping, you know, all the different parties and thinking it's a win-win for everybody. You know, what I love about it is the is the API piece, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we have this conversation with Steve and I all the time, and we, we don't understand uh, clearly why uh, big brands would go and, uh, and partner with a smaller brand, it's good for the small brand, and use their app instead of the big brand app, right? And so I love the, the, the concept that you guys can work behind the scenes mm -hmm. in the established apps already in people's pockets, mm -hmm. and then you can just be a, a, another service layer on top of that without being out in front, right? You're not the you're not the big app. 
you, you're the infrastructure that runs that app, that powers that one piece. Exactly. And I think that's such an important, mm -hmm. important piece so that you guys get into as many devices as possible. Right? I, exactly. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we can't force somebody to use an app that, they're not, that they don't want to use. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of expanding that reach by getting to a lot of these apps and engaging with a fan. We, we call it connecting fans and brands. If you have that brand, on, that app on your phone, you're a fan. Yeah. And if you're in the mall and you're close to the store, why not let us tell you something's going on just and help drive you in? Don't understand why, why uh, you know, it's, it's smart. And, and you know that it's smart uh, because uh, it's, so. it's a different business to then market that app mm -hmm. that you then have to go and push as you're trying to actually line up. So it's like the chicken and the egg with this thing. So I, I um, I, that, for me, that is a big seller for me for what you guys are doing. I like the approach. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, we it's definitely different than anybody else that we see doing yeah. it. But uh, you know, we're really confident in the model and, and happy with our early results. Sweet. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Very good. Well, thank you. Good thank stuff. you for joining us. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes of your time and, and here here in New York. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you more in the future. Anytime, guys. Thank, thank you for you. having us. And last but not least, Vikas Gupta of Factual, uh, where we actually have a conversation about data. The most important thing about actually understanding data. What is it? Location and place, right? Location and place. Excellent. So Vikas, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on the show uh, this week. And we're here in New York, obviously, at SM2. Uh, you're going to be uh, in Chicago on October 22nd for Retail Loco. Yep. So we're excited about that, too. Um, you know, we've had some interesting discussions today. We've talked about beacons. We've talked about, you know, with brands, we've, you know. We just had an interesting discussion about shopping malls and all that kind of stuff, but we haven't really talked about location data yet. So, you know, tell us a little bit. I mean, you guys are one of the big factuals, like, you know, for me anyways, one of the, the key players in, you know, location data, data accuracy. Uh, you know, talk to me about, you know, the importance of, 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 you know, having good quality, high quality location data. Yeah. So um, when talking about location data in the mobile space, it's helpful to break it down into sort of its, its two constituent pieces. There's the user location data that's coming off the device, so the actual coordinates of where the user is, and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of press about um, different accuracy problems you see with that data, uh, differences in precision um, on data coming through exchanges and networks and from publishers. I know the, the MMA has a big initiative around ensuring that that data is accurate. So there's a lot of talk and a lot of research that you can do around um, how that data is cleaned and the various issues, I'm not gonna repeat those here, but um, I guess it's, it's important to be working with accurate user location data, um, otherwise whatever you're doing around, around places or locations can be inaccurate. Um, and then the, the second piece is the places data. And so uh, off the device you're going to get a lot long coordinate, but for that to be useful you need to know is that coordinate mapping to a restaurant, is it mapping to a Walmart, is it mapping to an airport, whatever it is. And so that's typically known as places data. Um, and you need to have both of those correct and accurate to be able to do anything insightful in location. And, and that topic doesn't get a lot of um, coverage in the press, uh, mainly because when uh, most people talk about location, they sort of associate those as sort of one thing because mm -hmm. as a user or an end user, you never encounter the coordinate without the place. But they're really two separate things Absolutely. and you need to get both of them correct. Otherwise, whatever you're doing in mobile marketing is, is going to be inaccurate. So on the place data front itself, uh, you know, if I can look at that second piece, you know, part of the issue I think is, is you know, if if you if you're the restaurant owner or the you know the retailer or whoever, you know, who 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 takes ownership for making sure that that data is properly reported into, you know, Google and Foursquare and everywhere else uh, and factual, 
you know, from that perspective, right? Is it on on that on that actual you know property owner to do that work, or you know somebody doing it for them? Yeah. So there's a number of services that a small business owner can engage with to um, make sure that their listing is up to date across sort of every single popular local search or check-in or even data provider mm -hmm. um, that's out there. And so, you know, Yex is an example, DAC Group is another one, and uh, Moz Local is another initiative that's by the SEO Moz guys. Um, so we partner with a number of them um, to, to get the data that they're getting from small business owners to make sure. And I think if you're a small business owner and you're trying to do this on your own, it's gonna be fairly difficult because the, the number of different providers and the interrelationships between the providers is fairly complex. And so um, just because the data is accurate and factual and the data is accurate in five other places doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that it's gonna be accurate in the people we provide data to because they may be licensing data from a host of different people. Um, and we have no control over sort of like what data they're using of ours versus other people's. And so if you're really concerned about getting your data accurately updated, in sort of the major, major services, you really want to make sure your data is accurate across every single data provider. And to do that, it's easiest probably to partner with one of those things. What, uh, so do, do mom pa, small businesses, restaurants, highly local uh, places of business, do they know this? Do they understand this? Are they at this point where they, they, they understand the impact of, uh, of their location either not being in the right place uh, or not even being on the map? I mean, I think increasingly they do. Definitely we're seeing um, significantly more inquiries and engagement from individual owners themselves asking, how do we make sure our data is up to date across all these various providers? Or an inquiry may go, hey, we hear that you factual provide data to so-and-so big player. Um, we want our data to be accurate, what should we do? And mm -hmm. so I think it's increasingly becoming known amongst them. And then I think also just as people are more and more reliant on, in their own individual behavior, on searching for a place or looking at things, things on a map, it sort of sparks, all right, I gotta make sure that my data is correct. And, it, and it, to be honest, it's not just a problem for um, Smaller businesses, small businesses, yeah, right. it's a problem for brands too. And so uh, another one of our partners, um, Moment Feed was telling a story about, you know, they got one of their big clients because the CEO of that, uh, of that chain looked up one of their locations on, on a popular mapping application and drove there and it wasn't there. And so then he's like, wait, so we're sending people who want to come to my business to a location that doesn't exist, right. which not only is that lost business, that's just, it's a horrible brand experience. Anger. Yeah, yeah. It, it is yeah. anger. And so it's a problem that sort of the entire ecosystem faces. And then those brands are also engaging with the same set of companies. So, so when, once you have good data, mm -hmm. right? Once you've got you know, really good yeah. place data and, and, and sort of you know, uh, people data around mm -hmm. related to those places, does, does that put you in a position to then sort of start, start, start to provide you know, organizations from the marketing side that want to target folks, you know, better you know, audience data segmentation? Yep. Like, can, you, can you bring it into that framework? And you know, Factual is doing some, some work in that area. Yeah, and so we, we have an audience product that builds um, profiles based on users, where users have been over time. Um, all sort of de-identified information. So we'll cluster users into segments like, you know, this is a frequent traveler, this is a business traveler, this is a Walmart shopper, nothing that's gonna identify the person or violate privacy right. in any of that manner. Um, but, you know, anything that's building an, an audience around location, so, you know, to identify someone as a frequent Walmart shopper, you need to make sure that, all right, that you saw them at a Walmart and 
when you observe them at a Walmart, it was actually a Walmart. So they were actually there, right. and the place they were at was actually a Walmart. Not the strip club next to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... Um, you said like seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so anything you're doing that's using location, whether it's history of location or real-time to geofencing type applications requires on having both of these things accurate. So that having both of them correct is sort of a foundation for accurate targeting, and then it's what are the technologies, what are the models, the algorithms you're building on top of it to profile a user properly. Love it. Do you know what the impact of, of like you gave us a good example there where you showed up. It sounds like my map quest, early map quest for me. I'd, I'd actually pump in the address and I'd, I'd end up on the wrong side of Montreal, for example. Right. Um, and, uh, but do you have any, like... Uh, there are many uh, wrong sides in Montreal. Exactly. <laughs> some you go to on purpose, some you don't. And this right. is one of those right. occasions. Right. Right? No um, comment. <laughs> you shouldn't. This is, this is definitely... I know. But there's got to be some... Uh, do you have numbers, like the implication of not getting this right, you know, because it, it might be hard to sell on, or it might be hard to understand on, like you have to do it because, mm -hmm. but when, when it affects your business, because yeah. you're not getting a number, like you're not closing a deal because of that, what, like, do you have numbers on that, the implication of this? I mean, so I don't have a great sense of what the lost opportunity is, but just but there from, are some. yeah, from the flip side of what is consumer behavior, you know, numbers that you see out there will say north of 50% of the searches on mobile have a local intent, yeah. right? Um, 70% plus of activities have some sort of local, people are looking in just your own behavior, you're looking on a map, you're looking for restaurants. I do think though that really where you see people driving to action is they have a personal experience with their business. Um, and so, you know, the CEO example, or it's a small business owner who looked for their business on Yelp or on Apple or on Google, didn't see it, and then they're like, okay, how do I fix this? So I think that's triggering a lot of the action, but people definitely need to be more proactive about it. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you for taking a few minutes and yeah. sharing with us your thoughts and looking forward to seeing you at Retail Local. Yeah, yes. looking forward to the event. Yeah. No yeah. kidding. So as you can see, that's the reason. Those are the reasons why we limited this to two stories. We had four great uh, interviews here. We just thought we would jam them all together simply because, uh, you know, they're in context to where we are. Uh, I don't know how long the information in those um, interviews will last or be relevant. We don't want to hold off on them. So those four interviews, get them out right away. So hopefully you appreciate that and you enjoyed them. They're great guys. Like uh, these, these are the guys I think on the forefront, on, uh, you know, stepping stones of this technology. They put, they're out there risking every day absolutely I like mean, astronauts pushing the boundaries you know yeah. uh, embracing location technology yeah. love it yeah. Um, yeah so we thank them for being a part of this um, and we thank them obviously for letting us share it with you guys because it's just uh, you know yeah. wrangling and, and while like, we're thanking you know I, I, I gotta I gotta thank Greg Stewart uh, oh, yes. you know, so Greg, Greg runs the Mobile Marketing Association we're at SM2 their event here uh, Greg was very, very accommodating when, when I said, you know, we, we need, need a room. We need a room. We need a place to, to record these interviews. Uh, so thanks to the Mobile Marketing Association. Thanks yeah. to Greg in particular uh, for, for making that happen. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah. And that's it for this episode. I don't know if there's anything else that we have to say. No. We don't have a resource. We've given you four great interviews, a couple yeah. of. Uh, key but we will be back. To, we'll, we'll be back to the regular schedule. So there's yeah. another show going to be on Monday uh, on the regular time. So yeah. Done. So that's, hopefully it was worth the wait. Episode number 201, done, nailed. Together, together. We will be back next week at the usual date, usual time, usual place for episode number 202. Until then, Asif, you know, you will, by the time that episode rolls, you will be flying in Europe. Um, 
And yeah. but uh, we will have had. I know. I tried to get Jimmy Fallon. You know, I figured. You know, I'm from Toronto. Rob's from Ottawa. We figured we could have a little Rob Ford discussion here, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. No. Lots of conversations yeah. here about Rob Ford, though. For yeah. sure. He's a topic of conversation whenever you say, "Oh, you're from Canada." Oh, Rob Ford. Yes. Yes. Anyhow. All right. We'll be All back right, for episode number 202 next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you later. Feedback is great. Robin on TV or Seath at the LVMA.com. Please reach out and let us know. Until then, later.